Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Midnight Snack Podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. Got a good one coming at you today, folks. This is uh, the history of uh, one of my uh, favorite foods. Uh, i try to throw in as many fob puns as I can in here today. Sometimes they just come to you, you know. Can't really plan those out. Um, so uh, pho is really, you know, it's a great Vietnamese type of soup. Pretty much it's a simple boiled beef broth with a lot of different uh, vegetables and spices and herbs. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to get into all of that later. And, of course, uh, you know, I've never made pho. I actually have all the ingredients in my freezer. Uh, it's a pretty long process. And right as I bought everything, you know, Cleveland weather, it was cold. And then I said, ah, that's a lot of work. Let me throw these in the freezer. I'll do that soon. And then it was like 90 degrees in Cleveland. So uh, probably won't be uh, making pho anytime soon unless it cools down. But also, you know what? I think uh, the British drink tea in the summer because it, like, cools their body down. Like, they fight it harder. So maybe that would be good, like, on an extra hot day, like, eat some pho. But uh, anyways, um, pho is great. And... A lot of people might pronounce pho wrong. Maybe call it pho. Um, that's okay. I've done that too. But the proper name is called pho. So today we'll actually go over a couple of the different um, ways that it could be named pho. There's no there's no one yellow brick road to the answer there. Um, but we've kind of narrowed it down here. So if you called it pho, it's all right. Uh, or pho. It's all right, but it's really called pho. Now, pho is big for me because I actually was like a super fanatic at one point. I uh, did a pho eating challenge in Cincinnati at a place called Pho 96 when I was a senior in college. Live streamed it on Facebook. It is a nail biter, folks. I think uh, if anyone, I guess I can figure out how to post that. It's on Facebook. I should really get it on YouTube. But uh, basically, I won't spoil anything, you know, but it uh, I basically, they gave it a fight. That's all I'll say. I gave it a big fight. Um, and it was pretty funny. It was like, it was like a big ass bowl. Like, I think it might have been two or three gallons of broth, like two, it, definitely more broth than noodles. And there were more than one pound of noodles. I know that. There might have been two. And I know there was a pound of beef, and I know there was a two-pound lobster. So there's a lot going on in this pho challenge. And it was good. Really delicious pho down in Cincinnati, Pho 96. I don't think the challenge is even available anymore. Someone must have shit themselves doing it or something. Um, spoiler alert. No, I'm kidding. I didn't shit myself. Um, but anyways, you know, Vietnam has been around for 3,500 years. So, uh, I will tell you that pho has not been around that long. Um, you know, it, it happened due to a lot of different cultures and pieces of history that really formed Vietnam as it is today and, you know, led to the spread of Vietnamese people and culture all over the world. And, you know, each, each little journey of pho has a different flavor to it in more ways than one. Um, but for us to really look at the history of pho, we have to look at the different cultures that have been, in, you know, involved with Vietnamese history, at least for, you know, the later part, right? Um, and we all know Vietnam had, 
you know, if you didn't know, there was some French colonization uh, in the late 1800s. There was also some, uh, you know, communism and, of course, the Vietnam War. And all these things have to do with with what we'll talk about today as far as the, the history of uh, So um, here goes nothing, I guess, you know. Um, and I remember at that eating challenge, I... Uh, I had to sing. I was. I only had one solo ever in the choir in college. And uh, the kid on the day we were supposed to audition, like the conductor had this guy picked out, but he just wasn't there. And I like auditioned for it. And it like, I think it was pretty good. Like I had a decent voice. If you can tell from my uh, nice tone on this podcast. But uh, I just remember like this kid didn't show and the conductor was kind of like, all right, we'll give it to Jack. And there was this one note that I, like, really couldn't hit when we, like, harmonized. I was singing it with my buddy Gordon Taylor. Shout out to Gordy if you're listening. And I just couldn't hit this note. And it didn't help that right before the concert, I ate so much fucking pho that I could barely walk. And uh, my actually, somebody left my car on. They didn't turn the lights off. I forget who that was. Um... But they left my car on, so when we tried leaving the pho place, when I could barely walk, like, our car wouldn't start. And I think my buddy jumped it, and we made it back in time. But uh, I could barely stand at this thing and definitely fucked up that one note. Um, I think nobody really knew but, like, the people on stage, but it's one of those things. So anyways, French colonization of Vietnam. Uh, much like a lot of other countries, they thought the only way to prosperity was to colonize another country and exploit their natural resources. So, you know, that old chestnut uh, being cracked again by the, uh, by the French. So they officially called Vietnam Indochina in 1887. And, you know, they exploited all the natural resources, um, they were creating this quicker path to China and, you know, connecting, you know, France to that part of the world for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, of course, if you actually look in, in Hanoi and other areas in Vietnam today, there's still a lot of, like, French buildings. And, you know, obviously, there's going to be some French influence in the cuisine, among other things. Um, so the French, you know, obviously there'd be some rich aristocrats and governors whoever and then there'd be like a few vietnamese people that played ball right but for the most part it was really not fair to the you know the people of Viet vietnam um and like just a few of these french french people and a few of these vietnamese people got like really rich and a majority of the country was really poor so the vietnamese people started to hate landowners they're like dude this sucks we got, like, these French guys in here, and, uh, you know, every all the food's got so much butter in it. Like, what's going on? And next thing you know, like, uh, you know, we're all poor, and they're just living in these big mansions and stuff. So that actually made the Vietnamese people, it was kind of the grassroots and the, the founding of, uh, I never understood what grassroots really mean. I hope I used that right. But uh, it was, like, the initial founding of, like, why people were interested in communism. So it came from years of oppression by the French. Now, the French, you know, they slaughtered all the cattle in Vietnam, and there wasn't a lot of 
taste for beef in Vietnam at this time. Uh, you know, a lot of seafood, I think some pork. But, but beef wasn't really uh, on the palate of the Vietnamese worker. Um, so the, the French would, would slaughter all these cows. They'd take the steak, the roast, the tenderloin, you know, all the good parts, and they would leave kind of the scraps for sale for the, the, the poor workers, right? So there would be, like, tendons. Like, if you ever had a bowl of pho that's, like, really old school, it'll have, like, tendons and tripe, which is, like, kind of gross. I don't really care for it. It looks like kind of like squid tentacles, but it's, like, the stomach lining. Some people love it. I don't really care for it. Um, but uh, that was a lot of what they were doing. Also, the the fatty brisket made its way over there. You know, now pho has a lot of really good cuts like eye of round and flank steak. But the brisket, the the, the French didn't initially care for. Um, if you just tried to, like, cook a brisket like a steak, it would be like eating, a, like, a rubber shoe. And the only way to get brisket really tender is to, like, slow cook it, like, roast it or braise it or uh, smoke it, right? So they were, like, not hip to that, I guess. I don't know, uh, which I find hard to believe because the French were kind of the, the kings. But maybe they just didn't care for the brisket. I don't know. Or maybe they sold that. But I did find accounts of the brisket being used. Um, I don't think anyone was firing up their Traegers back then and, you know, smoking a low and slow brisket for a few hours. Um, but the Vietnamese were eating it. So in the 1900s, I think the first, the first kind of similar thing to pho that began to take form was called Jo Trao, right? And this was like in the early 1900s, so the French had just sort of colonized. You know, all that stuff was going on with the oppression. And this basically was water buffalo, thinly sliced with a really simple broth and you know the the vermicelli which is actually an italian name for like a really thin angel hair noodle um but when you make it with rice instead of egg like the italians made it with egg that was kind of the the noodles that they used and it was really simple right there wasn't a lot of really good flavor it was like kind of the water buffalo meat which i'd imagine is really lean unlike beef uh and then you know the name kind of changed to zhou bao when the Chinese street vendors, you know, Vietnam's right by China. So there was just a lot of immigration. A lot of, a lot of workers came down. I don't really know the history of why or what was going on with China there. You know, this is food history, not history. Um, sorry, I can't get too into that. We'll be down the rabbit hole forever. But there were Chinese people that, that ate there too. So now we've kind of seen the initial blending or the melting pot, if you will, or the soup pot in this case, of these different cultures. You know, the um, you have the the French colonization, um, and then you have the uh, you know the uh, the Chinese workers that were kind of the street vendors serving it, and they were also eating it. So obviously, and if they're involved in the supply and the demand, they can really influence what it is. So uh, in 1930. The first real kind of pho place opened in Hanoi. Uh, a skilled cook named Van Koo opens a, a storefront. And, you know, in the later 1930s, pho was pretty much everywhere in, in Hanoi, which is in the north. Um, and it just became a staple. 
right? And, uh, you know, what was going on in the world, but pho is obviously a really cheap, you know, it can be expensive depending on the cuts of beef, but you can get some, some really simple bones, you know, maybe some tendons, which I do like, and, you know, tripe if that's your game, and, you know, kind of the end cuts of, of the beef and the trimmings. You make a really, really delicious uh, and nutritious, you know, soup that would, you know, people would eat it in the mornings before they headed out to work, and they would, you know, they uh, they would be full all day. And I had a Vietnamese buddy who told me Vietnamese people never get sick because all they do is eat pho. And, uh, you know, there's something about it. Like, if you're ever hungover, first thing you should do is, like, try to get some pho. Like, the salt and the herbs and the noodles just kind of add something to the old gut there. And, you know, you get a lot of salt and electrolytes from the pho that you lose when you're boozing all night. So, uh... The Van Coo started in Hanoi in the 1930s, and pho was everywhere. So that's kind of the quick and dirty. But there was at one point something really important that happened with the French. And, uh, you know, they originally saw the French making something called pâte à feu. And there's two things that are important with the pâte à feu, which literally just means, like, like pot of fire, I think, or something, soup of fire, something on that order. So that was like a really simple beef boiled, and then vegetables were added and slow simmered and made a soup. So reason number one that's important is obviously, you know, people saw that, and not that there wasn't soup already, but, you know, they saw the slow simmering of beef and the adding of really simple spices, and, you know, that obviously had influence in the early days of pho. Um, you know, somewhere between them eating the water buffalo and, you know, that first place in Hanoi. So, you know, it's like 1900-ish that pho had been around. So it really hasn't been around that long. Um, so pretty interesting stuff there. And then, as I said, pot of pho, which pho is the French word for fire. A lot of people think that that's where uh, the name pho came from, Right. Um, which that's a bit of a stretch because if you look at all the other names for for pho, I, I'm not going to pronounce them, but a lot of the Vietnamese names sort of sounded like that. And people think that it just sort of blended into an abbreviation, but it's really hard to pinpoint it. So, you know, as pho began to spread throughout Hanoi and to the outer villages, people were adding their own little flair, their own little razzle-dazzle madu. So people started adding Chinese rock sugar. Again, that's a you know Chinese influence. So if you ever have a pho broth that's really sweet, you know, there might be some rock sugar. And you know, now they even put cinnamon and you know a lot of good stuff in there. But the Chinese rock sugar is really what makes it that kind of sweet, but then you get the saltery saltiness and the savoriness. And I think that's what really makes pho so delicious. It's that really nice blend of, of all those different flavors and sort of creating that um, umami. Um, so, you know, a lot's, a lot's going on, right? Um, pho really took its roots from the, from the French and, and the Chinese influenced it with some spices and, you know, their vending of it and they influenced the name. But at the end, the Vietnamese people were still eating it and, and spreading it. So in 1939, the government actually forbid, uh, and if you remember, French colonization went from 1887 to 1954 so the the french said all right 
we want to eat this beef. You guys got to take it easy on this pho. You know, as good as it is, I, I honestly think the French probably loved it. Uh, they said no beef on Mondays and Fridays in 1939. So what do people do? Are you going to close down the shop? Are you going to freeze it? Or are you going to, you know, I, I don't think you could even sell it on Mondays or Fridays. So they started making chicken pho, which is pho ga. Forget about it. They said forget about it. We're still making pho. So they made the pho ga, which is just chicken pho. And a lot of people, you know, the old pho purists, purists, uh, they said, listen, this ain't pho. I'm not eating this. And it turns out people loved it. And, you know, who doesn't love chicken soup? Uh, you know, little chicken soup for the soul. Um, I was watching the uh, Sopranos and somebody was reading. I've been binging that, by the way. It's a good show to watch in quarantine. Um, somebody was reading... I think it was Irina, Tony's girlfriend, and she was like, "I'm reading Chicken Soup for the Soil," and he goes, "You should try the tom- you should try the Italian version, Tomato Soup for Your Ass." It's a pretty good one. But anyways, Chicken Soup really good. 1939 Chicken Pho really took off. So now you know some restaurants even specialize in uh, Chicken Pho, like Pho Ga, and and uh, there's a place in San Francisco called. Uh, hell's name turtle tower there's a couple of them really good pho and they're known for their chicken but it's so clear like you can see all the way to the bottom of the bowl and that's the way my grandmother used to make soup like there'd be no cloudiness and i don't know how she did it whether it was cold water or sitting there skimming the fat or trimming the fat or keeping it low probably a combination of all those things but if you look at some of those really good pho when i'm when I'm, you know, noticing like how good the broth is before I've even had a sip, I smell it and I look at it and it should look like a clear blue or like a clear, you know, succulent, almost like iced tea or like a green tea, you know, with that little hint of greenish yellow and, uh, you know, maybe a little oil on top. Some, some of these fuzz I have are really oily. They weren't doing the grandma technique. Um, so Pho, you know, it then became pretty popular in all of Vietnam. And uh, they actually coined the term ban pho, which means pho noodles, which are those rice vermicelli noodles. So now, like, we even have our own noodles, dude. Like, this is a real thing. So it was so much that Tu Mo, a poet in 1934, kind of wrote this, like, love letter to to pho. I mean, not really a love letter, but it, it's it's a nice poem. Here, I'll read it for you. Let's see here. This was by Tumo. All right, let's see where you are here. Tumo, coming up. All right, Tumo. Okay, so he was like, pho is really delicious, and it will become very famous, and. Uh, he said it arouses the senses and it's uniquely delicious. And he wanted to convey Viet pride and people's desire for self-determination. And he thought pho was a good vehicle, much like this podcast. You know, we, we create pride through food, I guess. I don't know. He says, don't downgrade pho by labeling it a humble food. Even the city of Paris has to welcome pho compared to other international foods of note. It is delicious, yet inexpensive, and is often crowned the best. Living in this world without eating pho is foolish. Upon death, the altar offerings should include it. Now go savor pho, or you shall crave it. Not bad. 
Kind of like a little bit, it got a little dark there. Like upon death, the altar offering should include it. Yeah, you know what? It wouldn't be bad. I, I think in my casket, someone should put a little to-go container of pho in there with me. You know, it gets cold crossing the river. Maybe I can, maybe I can give it to the the guy on the on the boat. Hey man, it's cold out here. Why don't you have a little pho? You know, take it. T- take me over there. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'd get a, a maybe get the, the VIP treatment on the boat. Anyways, um, let's see. So Tumo loves it, and then we have 1954. So you know the ending of the French rule. And communism takes over. So North and South Vietnam splits. So one of the things that came from that would be the Hanoi people where the pho was was really big. Now is in Saigon. So if you ever look at a pho restaurant, one of the places, you know, it's not a it's not an end-all, be-all. But if there is a number after the name, like pho 1954, pho 2000, it's probably pretty good. I have a Viet buddy who, who told me that. Um, so yeah, look for it, look for that. So now we enter a chapter where pho became a, a political and cultural tool. You know, the communism took over and, you know, literally the government restricted pho. They said, you guys are eating all this pho and we don't really understand this. Like we're communists, um, why are you eating this? It's taking up so much rice. Like, you should feed the mother country with the rice. Like, rather than enjoy a meal, you should be feeding, you know, your your brothers and sisters in the Communist Party. I'm sure it sounded something like that. So they banned it. They said this uses too much rice. So what they did was give them this potato starch, and they would make potato starch soup. Like, they were, like, rationed in. And I've never had potato starch, but I'm pretty sure you boil potatoes and the starch comes out of the water, and that's, like, nutritious, I guess, or, like, filling something. Um, I don't know. But, uh, like, I had this nun in, in grade school, Sister Denise, and we were talking about, like, the Great Depression. We were reading a book about, like, some Irish family or something, and she was from Ireland, and she's like, so they ate watery potatoes? And they ate watery, wet cabbage. And it wasn't good. It wasn't like it was today. And I was like, sister, like, just because the ingredients are, like, cheap doesn't mean you can't make it succulent and delicious. And uh, she's like, I agree, Jack, you know. Like, but when I was a kid, we would take the potatoes. She grew up in Ireland. She said they would bake, take the potatoes and we'd put some coals in, in the ground. And we'd throw the potatoes over the coals, and we'd bury them. And then in two, three hours, we'd take them out and butter them up. So I said, there you go, sister. Like, you don't need to have bad potatoes. And she's like, you're right. But what happened was all the good potatoes were sent to, like, people in higher power. So at the end of the day, they weren't even getting good ingredients at the bottom of the line. They were getting the shit, like the potato starch, right, or the, like, leftover bottom-of-the-barrel cabbage that was watery. Or like the potatoes that were like, you know, little little rotten, maybe like, uh, you know, maybe like bruised or whatever. So sister taught me a good lesson there. So people were like, you know, 1950s communism came. They were like, yo, I need my pho. 
this is bullshit. Like, we were doing so good on this. Like, I love pho. It's like the new thing here. Um, we still need to have it. So they created some secret pho speakeasies, right? And they began, you know, they had to sell this potato water soup bullshit. But there was secret addresses sent around of the good pho restaurants. So, you know, when you have this bowl of potato soup kind of sitting on the counter, there was always one bowl with the, you know, rice noodles, like not the rice noodles, the potato starch like bag underneath it. And then there was like one without. So what they would do is they would point at one. They would point at the one without the bag in it. And they'd say, let me have... Uh, let me have the starch soup, please, right, or whatever they'd say. But they would point at a certain one and uh, maybe give a wink or something. I don't know. But people knew exactly what it was. And they would get these bowls of pho, and they had to eat them so fast, right? So that I think that's kind of why if you say, like, it's rude to soup your noodles and stuff, and you shouldn't eat fast. I think in some cultures, it's actually like a sign of respect. Like, I'm going to eat this so fast because it's so freaking good, and I'm going to slurp. Like, some cultures, you're not enjoying yourself unless you're slurping. So that's what I tell my mom when I'm, like, face down in a bowl of pho, just going ham. I'm being respectful, mom, of the culture. So, you know, 1965, you have the Vietnam War, Right, and so there were secret speakeasies all over, but pho did not die. The underground pho places reigned, um, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, like if that happened today, I would probably be part of the resistance of making really good food like underground. Like I don't know what I'd have going on, but we wouldn't stop eating just because there's total anarchy. So Vietnam War happens, and the Vietnam Viet Cong. They actually had a spy cell. They were running out of this restaurant called Pho Bin. And it literally meant peace noodles. So kind of funny there. But I think they did think they were going for peace. I don't really know, again, with the history. But I know they were communists. So they launched the Tet Offensive on headquarters. And there were secret weapons runners, like, going through Saigon. And they were, uh, you know, running the guns through the Pho places. So we went from speakeasy Pho's to secret underground hideouts and they would just eat pho and like understand how they were going to launch whatever it was the Viet Cong so in 1865 there was you know the wartime was rough uh you know who knows where all the beef went but they actually had to make a meatless pho and if you ever had a vegetable pho it's pretty good like vegetable soup is really cleansing um my mom makes a really good one uh, you just feel good after it. Like, uh, I feel like your pores, like, open up and, like, you start sweating and, like, you just feel good after a good bowl of vegetable soup with, like, no noodles. Um, but at this time, the U.S. was launching, like, reconnaissance over Vietnam, the north. And they we actually had some, like, some drones, like, some unmanned spy planes that would, like, shoot things down. Because, you know, the idea there is if they shot down one of our planes, then it'd be like an act of war. And then there'd be this like pilot that was like a prisoner and who knows like what, you know, they'd be doing to this guy. So they were like, the U S was like, all right, let's just drone it. So what they said, if there's these drones, they got the idea to call the new meatless wartime pho, pho without a pilot. 
which is pretty creative, I guess. I don't know who invented that, but that's kind of funny, I guess. But without a pilot, um, because of the drone aircraft. Okay, that's the connection. But anyways, people started then in 1965 just to add a little bit of flavor and just get something a little more hearty out of the pho. They made fried breadsticks, right, with old baguettes. And so people started crisping them up and you dip them. And to this day, you can still find, uh, you know, places that serve a little baguette there. And it's it's pretty good. Um, and, you know, you kind of dip it at the end or whatever your game is. Um, not that you need more carbs after a bunch of noodles, but that's kind of a delicacy. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty cool, you know. And I've never been to, to Vietnam, but uh, I really want to go. And, um, like, I... Like, I love Fuss so much. Like, I was, I, w- I had this Instagram channel where when I first moved to San Francisco, and I had, like, no money either. I don't know why I, like, agreed to do this challenge. Like, it was pretty self-destructive. But I was like, all right, I love Fuss. I'm going to make this Instagram account, which is still around, called San Francisco Jack. Still out there. I haven't really been doing much with it, but I should probably get on that. But I literally would go and eat at Fuss places all in San Francisco. And, uh... You know, I would like score them and I'd write this big long essay about like everything and it was really fun and I had some really good fuzz. Uh, I think the best one was in San Jose. Like a lot of the really good mom and pop fuzz places can't really afford to live in San Francisco. So a lot of them like in Oakland, San Jose, like South Bay, whatever. So we even traveled down there and got some really good fuzz. Um, fuzz Kim Long was the best in San Jose and I'm not kidding on the name fuzz Kim Long. So Vietnamese are pretty funny people. There's, you know, with that pilot joke and now this, like, who knows what, uh, what's behind the curtain there. But, uh, oh, dog's barking. Shh, Molly. Um, shh. Anyways, so I've, uh, I've, you know, I've been all over the country and I always would eat pho. And to the point where, like, I was on a trip for my 21st, we went down to, um, New Orleans, and, like, in every city, we stopped at Memphis and Nashville, like, I would look up a pho place, and my buddies were just, like, sick of pho. Uh, they would, like, <laughs> and my buddy TJ, I like, he, like, never liked it, but he always just got it with me because he knew I was such a fan, and eventually he's just like, dude, I can't eat any more pho. So they would, like, if they saw a pho shop, like, as we were walking, they would be like, Jack, look, look over here, look over here, and, like, point me in the other direction. Like, uh, like distract me. Cause they knew I would like want to stop for a bowl. Like I'd be full. It'd be like in between meals. And I would just be like, you know what? I want to try this. And I would just like drink the broth and say, I was going to eat a little bit, but probably eat like mostly the whole thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's pho. And the beauty of, you know, pho is, you know, when the Vietnamese came over, like much like in the last episode with, uh, Hoi Fong foods and the guy who created it, you know, he was Vietnamese refugee. And so, you know, people went all over the the world, right? They're in Australia, they're in Europe, they're in the U.S., South America, right? So you can find pho wherever. And what's great about it is there's many different, um, really, like, you know, many different, uh, you know, ways to make it. You know, from the, the rock sugar to the different slices of beef to some star anise. Star anise. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that can make it delicious. Um, you know, 
if you think about Fa 2000, which I think is in Vietnam, Bill Clinton ate there. Um, you know, so it's uh, it, it's popular thing. And there's a really great shout out to Tony Bourdain. He just passed away, I think, two years ago from Monday. Um, that was uh, very sad, but we love Tony. And I think he ate at a fun place with uh, Obama. Um, you know, pretty awesome that they could share such a simple meal together. Uh, if you ever want to look up that interview, it's really, really great. Obama and uh, Tony Bourdain. Um, so uh, I think now, like I've never made pho. Like I could kind of post a recipe or share it, but I, I would feel uh, less than authentic if I like told you I made it and like shared this big recipe. So I think instead I'll just tell you the right way to eat pho, and then you know if you wanted to to look at. Uh, a recipe i could share some resources with you so you know i always would get pissed when i'd go into a pho restaurant and people would be like dumping sriracha and hoisan sauce which is like a it's like a soy bean paste thing uh i think is in it but it's really popular in asian food and it's i've heard people call it chinese ketchup because it just kind of goes on everything and it's really sweet so they have you the sriracha obviously and the hoisan sauce uh, so people just, you know, you simmer this broth, like it takes like 12 hours to make a good broth for pho. And it's like, you know, you toast the, the anise, anise, whatever, you know, you toast the cardamom and you got rock sugar and cinnamon and people just dump all this shit in. They turn the broth from that, the broth from that beautiful, clear, um, you know, broth to like this murky muddy thing with all the sriracha and all you can taste is fucking sriracha and uh you know the um you can taste the sriracha and the thing and the hoisan so like i don't know what that's about so first thing you should do you know they usually serve the little plate with the pho um you know go for i would stay away from the trout if you're at a pho restaurant just get something with like some eye around uh, maybe some flank steak and some brisket. And honestly, go for the raw meat. People get weirded out by it, but like it's sliced so thin, you put it in the soup, and it's so it's paper thin. You could read the newspaper through it. You put it in the pho, and it like boils, and you can eat it like totally cooked in like a matter of ten seconds because it comes out so freaking hot. So yeah, get some of that stuff. When the pho comes, like. Just smell the broth. Like, try to be a mindful eater here. Like, smell it. Look at it. Notice the different colors. Look at all the beautiful things swimming around. Like, notice the beef. Like, notice the the nice noodles. Notice the broth. And and just look at it and smell it. Give it a nice long whiff. And just take your spoon, dip it in, blow on it, and try the pho. And savor that broth and close your eyes. Right? Take another spoonful and, you know, you got to taste the broth. And if the waitress or waiter comes over, say, man, this is good broth. And they'll be like, man, you didn't dump all that sriracha stuff in there. Like, you're a real one. So a little tip for you. That's how you can make some friends in the back. Maybe they'll give you some extra noodles next time. But uh, next you take, you know, they get the plate with the, um, there's usually bean sprouts and some Thai basil, which is similar to basil, but it's a little more minty, I find. Almost like a, like, it tastes like cilantro-ish basil in a way. Uh, then there's some lime and some jalapeno. So I don't totally put a shit ton of bean sprouts in. I just put a couple in early on and I like mix them around cause I kind of want those to steep and get soft. 
And then I throw in a couple, tear off a couple sprigs of Thai basil, a couple jalapenos. Um, there's usually like fish sauce and stuff that they serve with it. I don't add that. I like fish sauce sometimes, but I don't add it to the pho. And there's like soy sauce, but I don't think you need that either. So you mix everything around and now like you, you mix the noodles in, you mix all those Thai basil and the jalapenos and the bean sprouts and you let all that flavor mix together, squeeze a little lime, put it in there, let it, let it mix together and sit for a couple minutes, right? While you're letting it sit, take a plate or a little cup, half of it in, in one side, put some, uh, put some hoisan and the other side, put some sriracha, like about 50, 50, or you can mix it up, whatever. And what you do, so you got your chopsticks in one hand, you got your, you got your spoon in the other. How you eat pho is you take the chopsticks and you eat a couple bites of noodle and then you wash it down with broth. So there's none of this like adding the noodles to the spoon even though you can do that but like the true technique is like one hand to eat one hand to slurp and then when you see a nice piece of beef you take the beef you pick it up and then you put it in the the sauce you dip it in the hoisan and sriracha combo and you eat that and then you're grooving and uh you know i'm pretty good with the chopsticks but my my buddies have a hard time you can use a fork but you know don't try to like put the the noodles onto the onto the spoon like just grab the noodles with the fork and then take the spoon and do the broth and uh that's good and uh it's good to slurp the noodles it's good to like eat it quickly you know you don't want the uh french people or whoever or the the communists to to find you um just like the people in vietnam so i hope you enjoyed this uh this has been another episode of the midnight snack um go to really great website it's called viet world kitchen uh with the uh the great author tea drink consultant andrea uh guien i don't know how to say this name it's it's in vietnamese culture a lot n-g-u-y-e-n um so i apologize for, for mispronouncing that but it's andrea n-g-u-y-e-n and it's where i found a lot of this history and you can go and get her pho recipe she also has a great book called um Vietnamese food any day and uh, the pho cookbook which has a lot of different uh, pho recipes so go check her out Uh, she did a great job getting this research together and I I appreciate her so all right we'll see you next week on the midnight snack I'm your host uh, Jack O'Brien have a good one